Hey everybody, Jordan here, the PH is silent, and in this episode of the Saturday Morning D&D Show, we talk about DM burnout, secrets hidden in the Dungeon Master's Guide, and a new RPG that I'm really excited for called Mothership. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Saturday Morning D&D Show. My name is Jordan, with a silent PH in the middle, and I'm joined always by my wonderful co-host, Sir Lucian, over at Sir Lucian Gaming. Say hello, sir. Hello, I'm back. I missed last week, but I'm here and ready. Oh, boy, that was a stressful last week. I do not think I run shows by myself, although Indoor Adventure said that I did a really good job. I don't think I run shows by myself very well. (laughs) Um, But that was fun. It was an experience, and we had a good time with uh, everybody in chat last week. Um, but yeah, it is good yeah. to have you back. I'm excited that you're back. So awesome! Th- thanks for the three month subscription from Cyberwolf1201 today. Oh, that's so. awesome! Yeah, thank you. He gets to play in a bunch of our games. He's a great uh, fan of the show and really becoming a friend of the show. Really, <laughs> so it's good to have him in a game. He's yeah, fun. we ha- we still have our game that we need to do right. The that yeah, we got perpetually it. getting rescheduled. <laughs> yeah, the D and D story He's rescheduling. Um. Yeah. So I guess. News-wise, um, there was some Lore You Should Know stuff that came out, which they were kind of hinting at. Uh, and this was with uh, Chris Perkins and uh, yeah. Greg Tito, and yep. where they sit down um, and they'll record like three or four Lore You Should Knows on Twitch. And then later they'll integrate those into the D&D podcast, which I used to listen to until I realized like all the information was on Twitch or on YouTube. Yeah, so I was kind of watching it there instead. <laughs> um, but they were talking a lot about cosmic contracts and planar entities, and it kind of hinted at like Sigil a lot, um, mm-hmm. and like hints for, I guess, future, future, uh, products that they're going to come out with whether that's modules or whether that's like a manual of the planes or something mm-hmm. um but it was uh it was really interesting anything did you take anything away from that that stood out to you yeah i also thought in some ways it was a little bit of a response to me i think because a lot of people have been saying hey are we going to get this other campaign setting but yet we're we're doing Waterdeep as the next big book it wasn't yeah. a different actual setting and i thought it was it was very Chris Perkins like that he he wanted to do a session where he points out to you, well, you do realize if you've read the DMG, chapter two is full of everything you need to do to run something in the planes. Yeah. And, they, and so in some ways we have that. We just don't have a storyline adventure written into that campaign. So I think it was the, the kind of their way to say, you know, I'm sure more stuff's coming because mm-hmm. he, he made the point of you could run a campaign there. The only thing you don't have is all the cool little toys that you might get with a campaign book. That was one of the statements he made. And I thought, OK, so they're thinking about, you know, here's the structure of it. You can run your game using any of the Planescape stuff that you want or any of the different planes that are out there. You can run in Feywild. You can run, they, you know, a lot about Sigil and all this. Mm-hmm. But eventually it felt like, down the road they're going to give us some more toys and stuff to play with for that and that's what the adventure books are more for not hey you can't play in the planes yet it's just here's some things that if you go to the planes that are going to be fun or maybe you haven't seen before or are new or a different way to look at it because i guess over the last month or two since the since we've been really diving into morgan Kenyon's books yeah it just gets home to me that they make very little original content at the moment they do a lot of updating and bringing back stuff from the past, which mm-hmm. was all great stuff and all good stuff. <laughs> it's cool that we can bring Excuse it me. forward into fifth edition, but it's interesting that so far they're there. I would say maybe 75%, 85% of let's retool or reimagine what we already have. Maybe there's a 25% or lower of, Hey, here's a brand new thing that you've never seen in Dungeons and Dragons yet. And I'm surprised and I'm waiting for them to make that shift, that that idea that, hey, we're going to make something that has never been in D&D or here's a bunch of stuff. Here's monsters you've never heard of. Here's artwork you've never seen. Here's factions you've never heard of. That kind of thing. So I'm waiting for it. You know, they they did that with the Spell Plague. I think with 4th edition, they were just like, hey, let's try something new. We're going to have this new storyline. We're going to have like all new areas. It's going to be like a brand new Faerun. And that bombed so bad 
like I think the entire Wizards team was really, really excited for the for where this was going to go and where this was going to take Dungeons and Dragons, not just mechanically with fourth edition, but also like story wise. And it was going to integrate the spell plague into the novels and stuff. And there was such a backlash from it that with fifth edition, they're probably playing it as safe as possible. Um, and it's working, though, because like people are just like, we're going to do Dungeon of the Mad Mage. And everyone's like, oh, my God, Undermountain. Like, even I was excited for it because I've read some of the old Undermountain stuff from 3.5. So yeah. it makes sense. But I will say that I disagree with you when it comes to the adventures. Because the adventures, I feel, have been, although it's like this one takes place in the Underdark and this one just takes place with giants and this one does this, they have been very original you know and even like tomb of annihilation was kind of a playoff of tomb of horrors but they still felt very original to me um and i think i think the the dungeon of the mad mage might be just under mountain revisited but this water deep adventure feels very original uh and i think it's gonna stand out again just like a lot of their other adventures well, you guys heard it. He disagrees with me. Show over. Show Wars over. Hit the button. No more. <laughs> no, I, no, I think you're right. I think, well, I I would probably still argue a tiny bit. I think you're mostly right. How about that? I'll give you that. Mm-hmm. Their storytelling is way better than it's ever been. Their putting together books that are useful has is way better than it's ever been. I think the storylines, for the most part, within, like, I would say Storm King's Thunder... I mean, they've done some giant stuff before, and they've talked about the ordning quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And they even talk about the ordning in uh, the original Monster Manual a ton. And everybody mm-hmm. was wondering, why are you talking about the ordning so much? And it leading up to uh, <clears throat> Storm King's Thunder. But the fifth Tales edition Monster Manual. Right. Right. You yeah, said original yeah. Monster Manual, so I just wanted to clarify. Oh, yeah. I, I was thinking, like, not a, not a Volos or not a... Right, right. To me, yeah, yeah. You're right. Um but, you know, Yawning Portal, what do we have? So what did we start with? We started with um, Princes of the Apocalypse, maybe? Or was what came before that one? Uh, Horde of the Dragon Queen. So, uh, But those weren't written by uh, – those were written by somebody else. Those weren't yeah. written by the Wizards team because they were busy trying okay. to get the things. So I kind of don't count those. Like, And they're, they're fine uh, adventures, <laughs> but they're not, like, the best adventures written. Um, Rise of yeah. Tiamat was the same way. Like, I, I, I've been told that they're – I've read through them briefly. Um, well, actually, I shouldn't say this. I've only read through uh, Rise of Tiamat briefly. But um, but when Out of the Abyss came out, like I really feel like they knocked it out of the park with just storytelling and creating like a unique world, even though they're capitalizing on this Underdark that they know and love. So, Yeah, and it's not really from my side of criticism that what they've done is good uh, or bad. I love the stuff. I'm buying every book that comes out and mm. I'm running it with my group. So even if I say the words, Hey, it doesn't feel like they're doing original work. I'm still loving all the work they're doing and they are reimagining it in better ways than it was ever imagined. Even in the first place, like mm. it was, it was really good. So they're, they're definitely doing a ton of work. And the other thing you said that I thought was interesting in your statement there, um, it bombed fourth edition bombed mm-hmm. um the spell plague bombed the the cataclysm of the world and the way magic got changed around bombed but i wonder right i wonder if that were to happen now that it would be taken differently because i feel like the fan base that you have now is not so grognard gatekeepery i've been playing for 20 years how dare you change it from the way it's been mentality and you've got a lot more people in now that are just wow all of this is wonderful who i'd never even heard of this it doesn't matter if you changed a sarah it doesn't matter if you changed the way l minister works i never heard of that guy anyways but i'm loving D because i watched critical role for the first time and now i'm getting to play in games for my first time ever i think that there was fourth edition still had that three five group mentality of how dare you change our game? And they they went, it was like that attack dog version of our hobby that sometimes exists out there that you see every now and then. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's not as big nowadays. I think we're finally trying to get past it. And those people that are, I don't even know what the word is, that just like, they just want to complain about something that gets changed or is not exactly the way they wanted mm-hmm. it. It's a nostalgia be. kind of thing. They yeah. want it to be how it how it felt for them originally. So, yeah. I mean, it's the same yeah. people that complain about, they go to a comic book movie and they get really upset that it's different from the comic. Um, right. Because right. They, they grew up and they love this story. They don't want you to change it. Um, yeah. 
I think that that group is a little larger than you're anticipating with fifth edition I and <laughs> like people love their forgotten realms and they want their forgotten realms to make sense. And like little things like, okay, we kind of changed the like hierarchy of Waterdeep a little bit. That's, that's fine. Um, but like they want Waterdeep to still be there. Like Neverwinter, the city of Neverwinter was utterly destroyed with the spell plague. And like, there were huge sections of the city that were just like ripped apart and although that's awesome, they, yeah, it's kind of like, I think if they do something big like that again, it needs to be like a parallel world. Like we go to Faerun 2.0 and Faerun 2.0 has spell plague problems and has all this other stuff going on with it. And then they could yeah. justify it saying, here's the original world. It's still here. But if you want to play in this other one that we've created, we've created like a darker version of the Forgotten Realms, where it has an evil Elminster and a bunch of other characters in it that could be really cool, like an evil Drist that's running around, um, and you have to stop him from from trying to break into our world. Like, that would be really cool, and I think that's the only way they could really... That's the only safe way that they would do it. Um, yeah. But when there's so many other things for them to pull from, like, we've been hinting at planner travel and stuff in the DMG, or they, they've yeah, listed yeah. off Planescape. all the planes, Planescape... And they say they're going to come out with a new campaign setting. I bet it's it's safer and it makes more sense to do something like that, where we're gonna we're gonna do Planescape and then maybe Greyhawk or something, where you can you can jump into these other realms or Dark Sun or something like that. Uh, but uh, I mean, I I thought the spell playing was cool. Like I, but that's how I yeah. started reading about <laughs> Faerun is when that had hit. So for me, yeah. it was this cool like blue fire magic that was destroying everything and people were getting scarred and changed by it. And within fourth edition, you could actually level up your spell scar and take abilities of the blue fire. And I thought that was really neat and interesting, but uh, the backlash was just too much. So, and I, and yeah, I understand yeah. like people, you get attached, you get that nostalgia feeling. You don't want it to change, even though the nature of Dungeons and Dragons is that it is a living world and and mm -hmm. it does change with the games that you're playing in so yeah yeah well in my version that i'm running as a dm that has been ravaged by the giants in the north has nothing to do forgotten realms wise what jordan's forgotten realms yeah looks like yeah. or you know what in, uh, indoor adventures forgotten realms looks like or cyberwolves forgotten realms. you know it doesn't those are all different and that's the basis of the game so it's always funny to me when people want to get on there and argue about you know the lore and how this is how it should be, or here's what's logical, you know, or yeah. whatever. I'm just like, we're playing elves and we're throwing fireballs at each other. I'm not sure we can use today's logic on just about anything in the game. Um, we just got to roll. Yeah, no, uh, I'm really excited for the video I'm going to release this Wednesday. Um, okay. And so sneak peek, it's called Why the Forgotten yeah. Realms Matters. And I actually made oh. this like video essay on why I feel the Forgotten Realms is, is, is important to Dungeons and Dragons. And it's exactly what, what you're saying is that, you know, Lucian has his version of the realms and he runs games in it and he does whatever he wants. And I have my version of the realms and I run games in it and I do whatever I want. But we still have this like shared experience of playing in the realms, even though our games are completely different. Um, yeah, and yeah. I really like, like mine, that Tribor aspect is of it. Completely destroyed in mine. Tribor has been wiped out by the giants in yeah, my campaign. That's cool. I bet I could go to Tribor in yours. You yeah, know? yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's cool. And chat's really digging on uh, some of the stuff we've been talking about. They're going to town today because it is funny. It's not. I don't know if it's newsworthy. And, and a lot of people spent a lot of time about not signal boot using all these terms. Like I'm not a Twitter guy. I'm not this. Um, person who understands all the terms that come up but signal boosting gatekeeping and all these things you start to learn about it if you're just in the community yeah. because a lot of it has come up lately and this week it seemed to just rear its ugly head again where you know somebody would say something online and then it would start to just propagate everywhere and then people would start there was the funny thing that everybody was talking about is the hashtag D, &D gate where they tried to turn the conversation into just cool descriptions of a gate yeah which i thought was a funny way to move that 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 conversation around and it's not that conversation shouldn't be happening. And I don't even know, you know, to us, it's not something me and Jordan talked about that said, Hey, we should address this. And we're, we're the voices of community or anything like yeah. that. It's just, sometimes it comes up and it happens and we hear about these things and then, you know, we end up talking about it, but it all comes back down to, I really wonder, I feel like I'm hoping maybe I'm optimistic, but I feel like the community we have now 
though still has plenty of the old community in it, is more of a community that accepts change, more of a community that accepts mm -hmm. the, the direction Wizards of the Coast wants to go. And if they came out with something that was a very fourth edition-like rules change or classes or they, they maybe prestige class comes back or mm -hmm. they just bring something crazy out of the hat, I feel like the community now, though we'll have detractors, will be more accepting than it ever would have been back when fourth edition hit. Like mm -hmm. fourth edition hit at a time when nobody wanted it to change. They didn't, three, the three, five players or the three players, they didn't want change. They wanted more, right? So then D&D &D came out with change and that's not what they were ready for. They were, they just wanted more of what they already had. Mm -hmm. Nowadays, fourth edition happened, kind of rinse, did like the, think of it as like a, a wine tasting and you rinse your mouth with, you know, something else because you're ready to go on to the next wine. It put that buffer there to say, okay, now after fourth was done, now people weren't ready for more of the same or even going back to the original. What they were ready for is change, change mm -hmm. for the better. And I think that's where we're at now. So who knows where we're at in the cycle? We're 10 years into D and uh, fifth edition at this point, right? Was it Are 2008? Really? Is it? How many years is it? Somebody in chat don't know how many years we've had fifth edition. Maybe it's... I don't think 10. I thought it was 10, but maybe it's... It's got to be like six. seven or eight. No. Right? Six? <laughs> six? <laughs> I'm way off. I'm too. Now too I'm trying to think. Here. Where was I? And no, because I was not playing D and D in 2008. Uh, yeah, no, fifth edition is is not that old. <laughs> All right, somebody in chat, give us a date on when fifth edition came out. Oh, Jarg's looking it up. I am. I'm know. typing right now. Chat, you you lost. He's getting it. <laughs> yeah, second half of 2014, fifth edition was released. Okay, so six years then. Mm -hmm. All right. <clears throat> So in a six-year cycle, well, how long did fourth edition go for? What was the year cycle? Uh, that fourth edition. Start to stop. How many years was that? Uh, 2008 to two th 2014. So six again. Yep. Well, we're it's 2018, so fifth edition has only been four years. Four. I can't do math. You can't do math, no. Um, but they, that, yeah, and then th Third edition, three point. Well, third edition was eight years from two thousand to two thousand eight. Um, but they they put the kibosh on fourth edition a little early because it of the backlash. Yeah, so. I think so. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they were so, play testing well, it earlier. So if you count the play test, you know, there's some extra time with fifth edition. But yeah. I don't know. I I disagree. I think there's there's a nostalgia of the Forgotten Realms. But um, well, part of me does agree with you because I think the community is very accepting, uh, and they have already done some like world changing events like the death curse for, for example, but they mm -hmm. made it this optional thing. Like if you want to play in the forgotten realms, you don't necessarily have to have a death curse. Like we're not saying you have to have a death curse, but when fourth edition came out, it was kind of saying like, if you buy the new forgotten realms campaign setting, there's, you know, here's a whole bunch of info on the spell plague because that's what's happening. Um, and Dragonborn are now here and a bunch of other things and stuff like that. So I don't know. It was, I don't know. It would be curious if they, if they did say like Neverwinter disappeared, but I think if they do that, they would isolate it to an adventure and the adventure would be how to get Neverwinter back onto the Forgotten Realms, onto Faerun, because yeah. they don't want to yeah. like permanently destroy these iconic cities and these iconic things that they've, they've created. So well, and it also seems like their relationship with Ed Greenwood seems really strong at the moment mm -hmm. too. Like, I don't know if that, like, I think that's gone up and down over the years with the, you know, Wizards of the Coast and, and him, but it feels like right now there's a lot of support for him. They, like you're seeing him show up at some of the streams. Mm -hmm. They talked about hanging out with him at Gary Con. Um, so they're really embracing the guy who really kind of designed yeah. Forgotten Realms books and really introduced it to all of us. They're kind of saying that in chat, which I think is true too. And I was just, I think the, the overall point I think I was going for was I feel like the community is different than it was four years ago. Yeah. There's been a change in the community. And I think the debate could be what type of change and how has it changed and where has it changed and what has changed that kind of thing. But there's a difference between what was the community four years ago and what the community is now. And I feel like the one now I like better than I like the one four years ago. Four years ago was all about, you were accepted if you've been playing for a long time. You weren't necessarily as accepted if you were newer. It was harder to be newer at that point, I think. Um, whereas I feel like now you can be a new person 
I've met so many people who've never played D and D until this year and have started playing. I never yeah. ran into the numbers of people I did four years ago like that at all. Yeah. Like, but now I run into somebody at the grocery store. I'll run into somebody at the movie theater taking your ticket. I'll, I'll run into the guy who delivers a package to my house, you know, and sees that I'm wearing a, a D20 shirt or something. He's mm-hmm. like, oh, I just started playing or, you know, whatever. So it just feels like there's a difference. I don't know what it is, but it feels no, there's, like there's, there's a, a There's a big RPGs are for everyone kind of uh, movement right now. And uh, I can't say because I was not part of this community earlier on, <laughs> um, but... Uh, who knows, you know, gamers always wanted more people to play with, but I could also see it being this like elite club of you don't get it. Um, and there was also a stigma to it. It was super nerdy. It wasn't fun. And now it's cool. Like being a nerd is cool now. And that was, that has totally changed. So yeah, yeah. For sure. (laughs) Real social dynamics in a, in a hobby of fun games. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So that was the thing. That was the reason I wanted to point it out. Um, the only other part of that was Chris had pointed out there's a lot of things in the DMG that maybe a lot of people have glossed over. And I actually was one of them where I bought the GMG when I first decided I was going to run a Dungeons and Dragons game. Mm-hmm. I read it from almost front to back. And then I sat, I remember the thought in my head thinking, why did I buy this book that doesn't have any rules for Dungeons and Dragons in it? Mm-hmm. And, and that my first thought was, I just spent 50 bucks on what's supposed to be the Dungeons Master Guide, and it doesn't tell me how to run the game. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I just need the player's handbook to run my game. So I focused on that. But now that I've come back, now that I've been DMing now for three years, and I've gone back and I've taken a look, what I missed was what the DMG does have and how I can use it as a more experienced Dungeon Master. But I didn't feel like it helped me as a brand new Dungeon yeah. Master. I have a, one of my players at the table is a brand new dungeon master. And she was like, well, I don't want to start my game until I buy the DMG. And I'm just like, start a game with the basic rule set that you get for free on wizards of the coast.com. Like spend your money on the player's handbook. like player. Yeah. Well, and she had a player's handbook, but I, I was really trying to urge her. I was like, if you, if you want the book, that's great, but don't feel like you can't start DMing until you get the DMG because it doesn't help you that much. It, it helps. Mm -hmm. It helps with lore. It helps with like magic items. It helps with, I mean, it helps with a lot of things. I love the DMG. And as somebody that's creating my channel and I'm going through a lot of lore and stuff, I flip through the DMG quite a bit, but you're right. Yeah. You didn't have to wait, you know, and it doesn't necessarily magically open your eyes to becoming a dungeon master. So like even th- if you're going to run a, let's say you're going to pick up Tomb of Annihilation, it's going to be your first DM and you've gathered your party together. Mm-hmm. You're going to run Tomb of Annihilation. You have your player's handbook. There's nothing you will use in the DMG at that point. Unless it has you roll for magic items or something, but you're but right. that'll be yeah. in Tomb of Annihilation. Yeah. That'll be in there. That, so the DMG, what it really ends up being, and I'm I'm not knocking it now because I want to go back and I want to do a deep dive on it. I was some, yeah. One of the things I thought we could do as a fun project is to go chapter by chapter and just discuss it in a show where we're like, oh, this is something now that when I go back and read it really resonates with me, or Mm -hmm. I missed this when I read it, or look at this, this is how we could use this kind of thing and go back and really take a look at it to say, Oh, these were the things that I missed because what it is great for is if you're the DM who says, I'm going to create my own world. It's a world building guide. It is a world building book, convert other worlds into this world, create new stuff. Here's tables and here's ideas and here's, plot hooks and twists and all the here's how to create magic items here's how to create new classes here's how to create spells if you need yeah, to all that i stuff. made a whole video on how to roll up an adventure with the dmg because i think yeah. it's underutilized like if like you could have i've got three players and me and we sit down and i'm like all right here's the player's handbook you guys go into that other room and roll up characters within the same like 30 or 45 minutes it takes for them to make characters i could roll up an adventure with the dungeon master's guide um, yeah. because it's that simple and they make it really it's really awesome and you just and I, yeah, yeah it's really cool i think that's where the power comes from but i do think people need to hear the message a little more that that's where the power of the dmg comes from mm-hmm. not necessarily the power of i need it to run a game or i need it yeah. because it has the tools i need or i need it before you know i can run this uh regular adventure that i bought you mm-hmm. know that's I, I think more people need to hear that that are newer and i think that'd be kind of cool so that was the reason i brought up this week was just hey go back and check out your dmg if you're looking for stuff to 
create your own world or your own stuff, it helps you. But don't be afraid not to start a game if you don't have the yep. DMG because you actually don't really need it to play. You Player's Handbook or, like you said, the Quick Start Guide Rules, which are free, mm -hmm. you can play D&D &D for years on just that piece if your imagination is good enough and you have the enthusiasm. You don't need to spend another single dollar if you don't want to i encourage it because the stuff's really good but you don't yeah <laughs> no for sure that's where i was going with the lore that you should know <laughs> cool um and then another bit of news i guess um that we'll just touch on briefly is uh our friend nate from wsd 20 on youtube he did a D, &D round table that i was in where we talked about combat encounters and how to make them better or speed them up or just how to be more creative with combat when combat kind of gets stale, um, which is something that I've been thinking about a lot since uh, I think I talked about it last week on the show where I'm like, am I getting D and D burnout? Like, because like DM burnout, because I'm kind of just throwing combat after combat at my players. And I think they're having fun, but nobody's really saying like, woohoo, but nobody's saying like, Oh, we're kind of tired of this. Um, so now I'm going to try and take some of those ideas that we took from the round table. Um, but there will be a link in the YouTube description to that. So you can go check it out if you want to go see yeah, that. Uh, of the whole show last week, that was the one question I wish I was there when you started talking about, cause I was like, Oh, I want to dive into this with, with Jordan a little bit. Oh yeah. This idea, this feeling of DM burnout, right? So we all hear about it. You, as a player, you hear DMs get it. Um, as a DM, a new DM, you, you're waiting for it to happen. As mm. a longtime DM, it's probably happened to you a couple of times. And it's just one of these things that you hear about it, but everybody just kind of has their own version of it or ha it just happens to them. It's their own experience. We don't have a lot of people talking about how it happened or why it happened or when it happened, like mm -hmm. in the moment that it's happening. So it was interesting to me because I wondered when you said, I was like, I wonder what is making Jordan think he has DM burnout? Because the minute you ask yourself that question, it's kind of like when you say, am I the, am I crazy? Am yeah. I the one in this room that's crazy? <laughs> everybody else? You know, because it's kind of, am I the one that's burned out? Is it my players that are burned out? Yeah. They, I wonder, you know, so I wanted to die. I was just like, so the question I had was, are you feeling burned out because where your story has gone is pretty much the big exciting thing that you made, which was the upside down pyramid, as mm -hmm. I recall. But you hadn't really nailed down anything specific after that. Yeah. And so now you're getting close to them having to, to deal with that. Mm -hmm. And you don't have the enthusiasm as much as you had when you had the idea of, hey, I have this underground pyramid yeah. and this, this could be super cool and I could do this and this. But now your next idea hasn't really coalesced or... Is your burnout happening because your players' schedules aren't happening often enough? I don't know. Uh, so a couple things. I think um, I think that's it is I was really excited for this pyramid. They're finally there, and I don't have an exact idea of what I'm doing next. Um, I've been thinking about that a lot. We didn't play this last week, so I've had two weeks to kind of really think about, like, what do I want to do? And I've got a couple of paths that I want to take them on, and I've actually been changing up the dungeon to match these new paths um, or, or drop subtle hints as to what's going on. And I think I have a really good idea for how to like wrap it up, which I'm excited for. Um, and that's really what it comes down to. Like, what are you excited for? What, what, what that's mm -hmm. where DM burnout, because if you're not excited for the adventure you're running anymore, I think that's what DM burnout is. Um, but yeah. on the other hand, I also feel like my players are not enjoying what I've created as much as I had fun creating it. Um, which mm -hmm. is this backlash where you kind of feel like, oh, well, if they're not having fun, like, why are we even doing this? Right. Um, and it was the last time we played, I think I threw too many encounters at them, like combat encounters. And so they go into another room and they're like, oh, we're fighting again. And so the whole day we played, we played for like three and a half hours. There was one puzzle that they didn't really understand and care for. And then like three encounters that were just back to back. Mm hmm. Going back to the last time we were level 10, we were played in the Tomb of Horrors and we played, we weren't level 10, but we played through White Plume Mountain as like level eight or nines, which were very puzzle heavy adventures. 
and I am not the best at creating puzzles, and I can't really steal puzzles from those adventures that are puzzle heavy because we've already ran them. So I need mm-hmm. to find new puzzles to run because I think that will make it more interesting for me, and I think my players will get less like, oh, we're fighting again kind of a mentality. Uh, or so it's, it's RP opportunity, right? Right. Because if yeah. you're running combat after combat after combat, there's not a lot of discussion, dialogue, subterfuge, yes. learning about a new faction, learning about a new people, trying to figure out, right. you know, that stuff's not happening. It's just, hey, we're just slamming heads, which I like, and I, I get it, and I run it for my players all the time, mm-hmm. too. Like, they've been fighting spiders now in my campaign, we'll talk about it, over and over and over, and I have this fear a little bit in the back of my head that are they going to get bored because I keep having them fight spiders? But that's the main storyline. That's the, yeah. it's spider mountain. The mountain's full of spiders and they have to find a way to stop that. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's going to be lots of battles of spiders, but is it too much? Is it so? One I thing wondered, I'm like, trying to do to encourage role play is I took out a couple of rooms that had encounters and I'm trying to uh, put murals in there so that there are, there's something for them to look at and be like, what does this mean? Like, and so for instance, they walked into one room and it had a, a painted mural of the inverted pyramid floating over a city. And so now they're, they're putting it together like, oh, like this is this. So that gives them something to like talk about and kind of figure out and see what's going on. Um, and that's my goal is to put more things like that. They find a, a book that has some information or they have something. So, so they get a little piece. And this is all because I'm, I'm slowly figuring out where I want them to go after the pyramid. Now I can seed the pyramid with little bits of, of lore and history that they can then digest until it it's like, oh, they have that aha moment when they hopefully battle the big bad end guy. And they have this aha moment of this guy has been, uh, or they, they put all the puzzle pieces together, I guess. And so it's like, now it all makes sense. This guy is actually this guy who's also this guy who did this and is immortal and blah, blah, blah. And I'm making all of this up, but you get the picture. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and I wonder too, this is, not said in any way that's a criticism or a critique. It's just because we've been talking about both of our campaigns for so long. You just said something that that, that struck me interesting where you said, I'm thinking about where I want them to go next after this pyramid. But Jordan didn't say, I'm just preparing for where they want to go next. That's true. You know, and that's an interesting thing because I've been doing the same thing with I have this cool storyline that I want them to follow. But as I recall, your players want to go home. They do. Their mindset is focused on because you you threw them to the desert. that They want to go home. So I wonder what happens if you keep stringing them along mm-hmm. and not letting them go home. What happens? I have. This is what I factored in because you're <laughs> right. And I, I thought about this. And so um I have incorporated that into my decisions. They, oh, okay. they will be presented choices on how to get home, but those choices are not going to be easy. Um, mm-hmm. And like the easy choice might have dire consequences and the more difficult choice might be like the, the more heroic one to take. Uh, but it's, it's going to be, this is the path that gets them home. Um, it's just going to be an adventure that hopefully leads them home. Um, because yeah. I, that is what they want. Like they were actually discussing like how much is a boat? Could we buy a boat and just spend like two years at sea to get home? And I hadn't thought about that. And I'm like, I guess there's nothing stopping you until we added up all of their money. And they in fact did not have enough money for a boat. And I was like, Oh mm-hmm. my gosh, thank you. Cause I was not prepared <laughs> for a two year over the sea adventure. I really was prepared for them to go into this pyramid. So, no, I'm you're right, though. Uh, I need to do what they want to do. And they've made it very clear that their goal is to get home. And so now I'm presenting them with options to get home. Yeah, yeah. And and bringing it, looping it back around to me, what is GM? Because you said GM burnout is that if you're not having fun creating that next adventure, that next piece of your campaign, that's when you feel like the burnout is happening because you're just not having fun doing it. Now you're doing it because you feel obligated to keep the story going, but it's not something you're excited about or you're into. Mm-hmm. And I want to throw on top of that, I think that's true, and that is G- D- obviously DM burnout. But I also think there's a version of DM burnout where the ideas of what the GM wants to do diverges from the ideas of what the group they've assembled want to do. In 
in case would be one that would be one they want a little bit more RP heavy campaign, but you've been doing a combat heavy campaign or vice versa. I want to do an RP heavy campaign, but they just love combat. They don't really care yeah. about the RP because there's that type of group of people out there that the adventure league group, they just want to burn through yep. and get their XP. Right. So a bunch of RP adventures, they like, they don't even want to talk to NPCs. So it's this idea that I think burnout happens maybe quicker or is a bigger danger if you're diverging from what the type of game your players want to play and your interests are going in a different way. Like if my interests start going sci-fi and like you said, spell jammer, and I'm like, I'm with you, dude, let's do, let's get a spell jammer ship. Mm -hmm. Let's go out into space. But if you told your players at the, at the table of your table and they might go, uh, we want to play a fantasy game, Jordan. We don't really care about space whales and, flying through that's not that's when i tell them you're wrong space whales are amazing (laughs) we are playing in spelljammer (laughs) yeah yeah so i wonder i think that's a little bit of it too um be careful i think you need as a gm you have a million ideas throughout the day you have a million ideas that you want to run i am completely guilty of the guy who has an idea every single day and i want to move to that one and my players get a little upset because I'm always making them make new characters for this new idea. Mm-hmm. And I've had a couple of them say, you know, I really would just like to play one character through for quite a while instead of just making all these one shots and doing all these yeah. extra characters. I just want to play one of these characters. Th- and I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm sorry, you know, because I want to try this idea of this endless dungeon. Oh, but then I want to do this. What happens when Stephen King's The Mist meets Forgotten Realms? Oh, but wait, what about what happens if we did like a, um, a walking dead version of D and D what would that, Oh, but wait, what if we, yeah. you know, I'm always jumping and I always want to play those scenarios and things, but I haven't formed the group that likes to make those jumps. So I got to be very careful when I do that. I got to form the group that likes that also, mm. or the group that wants to play a different game. Like I want to, I want to play Warhammer fantasy battle. I want to play uh Starfinder, you know, but I can't just put that on my players who are only D and D players. They're like, we just want to play D and D dude. Yeah. Just just run D&D 5e. That's all we want. You know, like they just want to play that. They love it. They love when I play it. They love when I run it. They don't want to play anything else. And if I mention something else, they're just like, I wish we want to play 5e. Yeah. (laughs) I'm like, okay. No, I got similar problems. And (laughs) I just discovered a new RPG called Mothership, which is a sci-fi horror RPG that I'm really excited for. And I want to run a game of it so bad. Um, But I can already look at my players and they're like, well, it's not 5e and we don't really want to learn a new system. And I'm like, ah, you're right. Uh, I was like, I'll find people online and run it there. It'll be great. Yeah, yeah. So chat, keep an eye out because when me and Jordan want to run some games, we're definitely coming to you guys. Hopefully some of you are, you like to be system hoppers, campaign hoppers, character hoppers, so we can run some of these games that we want. Because I think if you don't want GM burnout, you have to indulge your own satisfaction too. Mm -hmm. So you have to be able to schedule a game that you can play that you like. And then you can still do your D&D 5e that you're having fun with. But I need to have my fun over here every now and then with some space shooter, sci-fi, Western mm-hmm. style game or whatever it might be. I want to play some Deadlands or I want to play, I want to do a big train heist or whatever. I can't do a big train heist, you know, or, or something like that. So, yeah. Yep, for mm-hmm. sure. So, Mr. Lucian, uh, you got some some games that you played this week and you got some stuff coming up. What's going on in the world of Lucian? Yeah, I tried to organize a couple over the week, but everybody had some pretty busy schedules as far as the players I like to run one-shots with. And I tried to get um, our... I have a one-shot that I'm calling Death and Taxes, with uh, eventually is going to be uh, Cyberwolf and Greybeard's Tavern and Jordan are in it. And it's going to be a little bit higher-level, mid-level adventure that I wanted to do. It came from Dragon Magazine 201 thought it'd be an interesting thing so eventually hopefully we get to see that that comes to the light of day they've got some characters made up i also had one that was we created characters for warhammer fantasy roleplay first edition i wanted to run one of the adventures right out of the book for that but i couldn't get it scheduled so the only thing i did get to play this week so far has been my borderlands west marches pre-west marches game and they hit fourth level my team went out they i made a slight mistake here (laughs) <laughs> when I told them that the pre-West marches in my head, and I've been saying this on the show and a couple of them have been watching the show. And I think that's how they picked up on this is that I did not expect the, the West marches 
game to be a long game, a long campaign, because it was my test run mm -hmm. before I actually put out the real West Marches game, which is going to happen 50 years in the future from where this timeline is. Well, they've all caught on to that, and they've all now are starting to shift gears into, well, why aren't we just making new characters? Why are we still playing these ones? Mm -hmm. and, the, and the reason was I had thought in my head I would just wrap it up in a nice climactic moment where some of the players in my head i wanted some of the players to survive and some to die and then maybe some of those survivors become npcs in the new town for 50 years later from now mm -hmm. and then some of them are the die the ones that died are legends or they have statues erected or some cool thing that said these were the original adventurers that were here but now we're ready to launch the new game well they've been hearing me say that now so now the players themselves are like they're already thinking about their next character. They're already thinking about why well, I want to right. play in this thing. They, they're starting to lose attachment a little bit to the characters they have now because they've realized they're not really going to get past fourth or fifth level. They probably won't get past fifth level. And I realized that taught me something in this last week or two. Players can play differently or they can act or react differently the moment they know how long your campaign is going to go. And if you tell them to build a character, but then you tell them we're never probably going to reach past fourth level, that's a very different experience from the player perspective than you saying, hey, we're going to play a campaign, create a character. Because if you don't give them a timeline, they are thinking about what I'm going to take at fourth level, what I'm going to do at eighth level, what's going to happen when mm -hmm. I get to 12th level. And then hopefully I get to 18th level and I can't wait to, oh, this character's going to be so cool. And it's going to go through this cool giant story arc about I lost my brother and I have to find him and maybe I'm the lost prince of this kingdom and I'm a baron and blah, blah, you know, all this stuff's going on but then that hammer drops to say oh this is a short campaign guys uh, you're not really getting past that so yeah I think you gotta be like careful mm -hmm. not to, to hammer your players enthusiasm by letting them know where the deadline is too late or not soon enough like I think you need to tell them at the beginning of the campaign where you think this is going to go and how far you think it's going to go mm -hmm. so that everybody's on the same page and, and um, because they get attached to their characters and I forget about that. Like, and I think I forget about that is because I'm a guy who will make a character every single week, a concept, build a character, a storyline behind it, a background, some cool thing. But every week I'm doing another one and every week I'm doing mm -hmm. another one. And I love it. I enjoy it so much. I think most of my players, they love their one character they built. They're not thinking well, about character the third character they're making. yeah you're also not playing these characters that you're making yes um and i think like i'm super attached to my adventure league bard and i did not know that i would get this attached to my adventure league bard <laughs> but like i've gone through trials and tribulations with him and so like we you know it's like you get really attached to this character that you have been playing uh but i do the same thing like i make all kinds of fun character concepts there's a dwarven wizard i really want to play that i haven't got a chance to like do anything with yet um, but no, I think like you need to play those characters on a consistent basis and you really want to see them grow and, and level up and it's, it's fun to, you know, what secrets do they hold? So, yeah, yeah. So as a DM, I think I have to remind myself to put my, put myself in their shoes. Mm -hmm. They have built these characters. They've thought about at least up to several levels, even past. And they are thinking about, like, one of them was thinking about he wants his familiar to be, it goes from an animal, but somehow it becomes an imp later on, and he gets tied up in some type of weird demon devil contract that he has to get out of. And he's just writing this whole stuff on his own in Discord. We have a huge Discord channel of just, they're writing their own RP stuff in between sessions. And we got one guy who's slowly transitioning from being a warrior, but moving into the priest, and how that all affects a person who goes from being you know, I swing a sword to solve all my problems to something else. And I'm a leader. And what does that mean? And then we got another guy who just became a warlock. He, he multi-classed into warlock. So we had this spectacular scene of the old great one taking over this. Well, here's what I, I had to tell the story because it's really good. Not too long ago, this character, he's our thief in the group. They had a ghost fight uh, about a month ago. He was the only one that when he got hit, 
he failed the save, so he had to make the roll about how many years you age. Mm-hmm. He maxed it out. He aged by like 40 years. Oh, wow. So all of a sudden, he was like an old man, and they played it up. They RP'd it. He talked about arthritis. The team teased him about all the wrinkles he had, and it just went on and on about now he's the old man. When he really was a kid who just got you know, in this terrible thing, and nobody knows how to reverse it. So he tells me he's going to go warlock. And in my brain, I'm thinking, here we go. So this is what I'm going to do. The minute he signs the pack with the warlock, I'm going to turn him back to being young again. Mm -hmm. So his party had went off, left him because he was sick. He decides to go fourth level. This is when we're going to do it. I have a whole scene with him um, accepting the pact from the old one. He walks through a shadowy portal to where his party had left him. They were already back over at the mountain because he didn't get to go. He walks out of the portal. He's all young again, and he changes his voice. He changes his pattern of speaking, and the and his players are just freaking out because this is like, what's going on? And he played it up really well. Mm-hmm. Probably the most proud moment I had of, of offering inspiration. Like, it was a time where inspiration wasn't enough for how good this person was RPing. Yeah. He went from a very solid character that was kind of this snarky, why are we doing this? We should just be looking out for ourselves. We shouldn't just be helping other people. There's no money in it kind of character to this cackling. And every time he makes a statement kind of laughing in this maniacal way and like a different voice. And he's like, his attitude is different all of a sudden. And the players were loving. I mean, it was a great RP for this kid. And what's funny is he's a DM. Usually this is Mm -hmm. the first time he's got to play in a while. So he's usually playing other characters as a DM. So I think it was fun for him to to really sh- lean into this RP version of his character. And it was great. It worked out really well. And they're so attached to these characters now because the campaign went so much better than I ever thought it would that it's sad that I want to bring it to an end because yeah. I want to really start the real thing. Like I wanted, I have this whole idea, this whole campaign. Mm-hmm. This was about testing rules and testing yeah, mechanics. But it's grown testing. into this. But it grew into some really good characters. Like they are so good. So be careful. You know, you, uh, you, what is it like, you know, you make your bed, you have to sleep in it. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I've created my own problem. And sometimes you, a DM might say, well, that's a great problem to have. Yeah. You know, your players love the game. They don't want to leave their characters. That's exactly what you want. Um, So that's a good thing, but just be careful that you don't dash their hopes and dreams let them know ahead of time where you think your campaign is going to go if you can. Cause I think the, the most bittersweet memory you have in D and D, the one thing that brings true sadness to your life is the campaign that ended prematurely. Mm-hmm. The one that where you're having pretty good fun, but all of a sudden everybody's schedules don't work anymore. Or the DM disappears or the players disappear and all is left unresolved and unsaid. That's, that's when you're like, Oh, I love this. I love this hobby. But man, that just hits me in the heart. We're not going to get to keep playing this, you know, yeah. it, you know, and it just disappears. So don't burn out DMs if you can. Um, <laughs> so that was my third day. And then I had my nephew over for Thursday. He got to watch me run a game and ask me a bunch of questions. He's 16 years old, never played D&D. Um, I gave him a copy of the handbook, player's handbook, and we created a character the last time he was here, but he's never played. So I tried to scrounge up a bunch of people last night to come over to my house and play at my table and say, hey, I want to introduce my nephew to Dungeons and Dragons. He's never played. This is that iconic moment where everybody has that story of your uncle or your older brother or somebody's older friend, Mm -hmm. older sister for, you know, um, uh, Jeremy showed him how to play D and D. And from there it became this lifelong hobby that they were in. So I'm like, I'm like, I'm into it. I want to show my nephew this. Why well, I couldn't get my friends together to come over oh, no. to play at my table. So I, it's still, ha- I'm still going to try to ha- get it happen. Maybe the next time he comes over, I want to set up a game where he can sit down and play. Cause my friend said, well, why don't you just have him play in roll 20? And I sat back and I thought, do you want, if you have control of it, do you want the player who's going to be introduced to Dungeons and Dragons for the very first time to play online or play sitting at the table? Oh yeah. I would say at the table, but that's because I'm biased for the table. Right. But I'm biased for the online, but I happen to agree. I think your first experience, you just got to have the table experience for that first time. You got to roll dice, you know, like, yeah. 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 So, and I know there's lots of people that play for the first time on roll 20. Um, and I'm not knocking it. If that's the only way you can do it, do it. I love roll 20, mm-hmm. but I just want my nephew to have that. I guess I want him to have that experience I had, right? 
that experience mm-hmm. of being eight or nine or 10 years old and an older person, an older sibling or an older whoever showed me how to play the game. And it's been something I've kept with me for the rest of my life that I want to be that catalyst. I want to be, mm-hmm. I want to be able to have to be in that story. Um, so we'll see if it ever happens. <clears throat> the last thing I have is my Saturday tonight. <clears throat> I'm playing in roll 20 con, which is happening right now. They do a online convention with roll 20. They do it every year. Um, super geeked up does it and they do it for charity. So they do a lot of the stuff for um, their charity. You can go to their supergeekedup.com to find all, all about it. I played last year and they graciously invited me to play in some games this year. I only chose one and I'm going to play in Conan Adventures in an Age Undreamt of, Ooh. which is, it just came out this last, I want to say, year or so, maybe two years from Modifius. It's the same group that does Star Trek Adventures. Mm-hmm. It does uh, John Carter from Mars. It does uh, Attention uh, Cthulhu, or it's like Actun Cthulhu, um, and a bunch of other games. Modifius has a ton of games out of the UK. So I'm going to get to play that. It's a 2D20 system. We're going to play it tonight starting at 10 p.m. Eastern, and it's going to be pretty fun. Um, I'm going to get to play in Conan, sword and sorcery-style game. I love the Conan movies. I love all the stories. There's comic books. There's books. Um, can't wait to get in it and see how it goes. I rolled up what is called basically a nomad. I have no idea how it's going to work out. <laughs> That's the most I've fun, though. So, yeah, be so good. And the character sheet is... Uh, I don't even know if it'll show up on camera, but it'll probably get glared out. But the character sheet is crazy. Super detailed, yeah. Uh, super, yeah. If you can see the colored version of it, it looks pretty cool. But if you want to check that out, that's going to be tonight at 10 p.m. Eastern over on supergeekedup.com. You can also find it on his YouTube channel, Super Geeked Up. They do a lot of cool stuff, if you haven't seen his channel, about talking to – they go to Comic-Cons, and they talk to all the people that are in the shows and the comics mm-hmm. – and they do a lot of roundtable talks with actors and writers and screenwriters and that kind of stuff. So they're a pretty fun group to um, check out. So that is all of the stuff I have done in Dungeons and Dragons this week. Sweet. I took up the whole hour. Yeah. It's well, hey, everybody. Thanks for coming out. Uh, no, <laughs> we had eight minutes left. So what um, well, <laughs> I had something I wanted to talk about. Um, I didn't play a game at the table, but I did play Adventure League. But um, I'm going to not talk about that. And we can save it for next week, maybe. Because it's still an interesting kind of... It's. I thought it was interesting. But what I did want to talk about is, um, really quickly, this mothership sci-fi horror RPG that I discovered. So I listened to a lot of role-playing podcasts, which I'm sure plenty of you guys do. And one of the ones I listened to is Bored with Life Adventures. And they're just a 5e actual play podcast. Um, But they took a break from their game and they took their players with the creator of Mothership, whose name is Sean McCoy, and to, to kind of beta test this, this mothership sci-fi horror game. And I was so taken with it. Like, it was just really cool. The concept is really neat. Like, I like the Alien franchise. I like, I just like sci-fi horror. I just think it's really cool. You know, Dead Space, things like that. It's really awesome. So in the game, it's really easy to panic and get stress and fail because how you roll your stats is you take 6d10 and you roll your stat. So you roll like body and mind and I forget the other ones. Uh, there's like courage and things like that. And then you add it up. And so you have a max of you and you can get anywhere between 6 and 60 for your stats. And then when you're presented with something, like if something spooky happens, and you need to roll your courage. And it's not actually called courage, so... I feel bad. But if you need to roll that, mm-hmm. you roll percentile dice and you're trying to roll under your stat. So on average, you get stats in the 30s. So you have like a 70% chance of failure for a lot of these rolls. And when they were playing the actual game, they were going through and they were they were rolling. And it's like, okay, you failed that. You roll 1d10 stress. And every time you accumulate stress, it like builds and builds and builds. And the tension kind of builds with that. And then when you're presented with something really spooky, you have to roll a panic roll to see if you panic. And that's based on how much stress you have. And then bad things happen when panic happens. Uh, it was just a really cool concept. It was really cool that they were playing with um, Sean McCoy, who is the creator of the game, and he was their DM. 
And at the end of the podcast, they were basically saying like, hey, if you want rules, tweet at Sean McCoy and maybe he'll send you some. So I totally tweeted him and he's like, you know, we're going to put this on drive-thru RPG in a couple days. I'll let you know. And he tweeted me back saying like, here, here's the link. It's currently on drive-thru RPG. Um, I would really encourage you guys. It's only like a 40 page RPG. Um, and it's got loads of information in there for only being 40 pages. Uh, really, really cool game. And I want to run it. And so, uh, it's for pay what you want on drive through RPG. Um, if you're going to Gen Con, they're going to have a limited printable release there that you can purchase, uh, which I think I will, because I really think it's an awesome thing. So I don't know. That might be the next game that I run. If you're interested in a sci-fi horror game, Lucian, maybe I'll run it online. Yeah, so cool. Well, my favorite movie of all time is aliens. Oh like, my gosh. That is like the best cameras, movie aliens at the top. And I love it because it has everything I want in it. It has the horror, but it also has the the sci-fi military a little bit in it. Mm-hmm. And I'm just huge into that. So it was my favorite. Right next to that is then Alien, the regular movie, is my next mm-hmm. favorite. And then it kind of moves on from there with a, a very eclectic list. But it's definitely Aliens. is Like, it's always that question if somebody says, hey, if you're on the deserted island and you only get one movie, it's the movie I pick. It's the movie I bought. And it's the movie I watch like once a month or maybe <laughs> once every other month. I just put it in. And I go back and I watch Ripley kick ass every single time. And I'm just like, it never gets old for me to watch that. It always looks good. I love love those movies. And I tried to get my wife to watch it because she had never seen it. And she fell asleep. And I'm like, how do you fall asleep during (laughs) Aliens? Like, it's just, I don't know. I'm like on the edge of my seat the whole time with this movie. But um, but no, you guys uh, go check out Mothership. It's super cool. Uh, they didn't sponsor the show or anything. It's just something that I thought was really cool. And I was really happy that Board with Life Adventures was able to do this because I'm learning for myself that I, I understand RPGs a lot better, especially new systems, if I can watch or listen to somebody else play it. Like for me to yeah. just read a rule book, I get really lost in a lot of systems. Um, for example, Deadlands, like we were going to play a Deadlands game and our DM was really excited for it. I couldn't find any Deadlands podcasts. I couldn't find, now there's, I think, uh, there's a couple Deadlands out there on Twitch, but back when we were playing it, I couldn't find anything. I read the whole rule book, was super confused until we started playing and the DM could like answer questions for me. So it helps yeah. me, like, I, I'm not going to find somebody to run Mothership for me. Like I'm going to need to run it if I want to play it. And so listening to their podcast was really useful to understanding yeah. the system. So Yeah, it, I, I just had that with the Conan thing because they said make a character. And yeah. so I'm trying to do all this stuff. I haven't been talking to those guys. I'm like, I'm just going to build a character. And I went through the steps and there's like some stuff in there. I'm like, whoa, this this seems yeah. complicated. I don't know what's going on. And Human Arrow is the same really way for me. <laughs> yeah, until you play it and then I'll mm-hmm. go, oh, now it just makes total sense when yeah. you go back. I, I'm trying to do a series <clears throat> on my YouTube channel, and I want to do some videos, and, and I'll probably get help from some people that are within my kind of circle and my orbit of how do we learn to play new systems faster and better? Yeah. You know, like how do we get our brains in that mindset, or what is the structure we can help with ourselves if we said, okay, I pick random RPG off the shelf named blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. If I use this tried and true way of learning a new RPG, it's going to take me very quickly to learn it. I'm going to be able to figure it out. I'm going to do it. And I think it has to do with breaking it down into a couple of things like character creation. How do you resolve a skill check? Yeah, no matter checks. what they call it in the game. most games have checks, yeah. How do you resolve some type of conflict, fighting, punching, mm-hmm. kicking, shooting, whatever it is. Do one of those until you understand it. And then from there on, you, now you know the system enough that you can just start diving into the RP and the lore and the building of stuff. But break it down into its very basic terms to say, okay, so I need to roll 2D something to do this and this. How does that all work? But create very specific mechanics to do that. Like almost like an outline that you follow every time you play a new um, RPG. So I've been trying to work on it a little bit here and there. Because, you know, the 2D20 systems are different. The dice pool systems are different. Mm-hmm. If you play, you know, the fantasy, um, uh, fantasy, what's the big company? Star oh, Wars. You can only think Costco. Fantasy Flight. Fantasy, fantasy Flight. Flight. <laughs> they have the one where they have story dice and different dice mean different things and they have different colors and mm-hmm. it has, you know, um, powered by the Apocalypse games, have a 2D6 plus stat you know, type style, then there's all kinds out there. And so it can get confusing on how to yeah. play these games. 
but they're so good. You want to play them and you want to get in them quickly. I want to play Cities of Mist. I want to play Overlight. I want to play, I want to get into Pathfinder 2nd Edition, but it's going to be really different to go back to that style of game mm. now that I've been playing 5e and not constantly try to compare it or, or my brain go back to how we do it in 5e. No, I just need to think about how I'm going to do it in Pathfinder 2nd Edition or how mm. I'm going to play Warhammer 5th Edition's coming out or whatever it might be. So, And there's so many games coming out that I want to play them all. Yeah. Yeah, no, 5e has definitely opened my eyes. I liked 5th edition, and then when I was when I played that Numenera game, um, I was just like, man, not only do I love 5th edition, I think I just love RPGs. And because before it was like, well, no, I'm, I'm really the fantasy RPG guy. I really like 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons. But I like, I'm just like, no, I want to try all these stuff. I found another one called Straight to VHS where you're making like an 80s buddy cop movie. Yeah. And I was like, this is so cool. I want to play the all nice these systems. The Nice Guys. We so. could play an episode of The Nice Guys. See? That'd be yeah. so good. That'd be so fun. Um, <laughs> all right. We are at our hour. So We got to play with the sunglasses on the whole time. <laughs> and get little I'm mustaches. So yeah. yeah. It'll be so great. In. <laughs> uh, thank you guys so much for coming out and watching us chat. Uh, it's always a pleasure to have you and to interact with you. Uh, we love you so much. Um, thank you guys for watching on YouTube, for liking and commenting. Uh, and, and thanks for listening on the new podcast that we have. So it's really exciting. Uh, we've gotten some downloads with that. So people, it should be out there on everything now. Like if you're Android, if you're, um, iOS, it should be out there in iTunes and various other podcasting places. So go look for us there. Um, and with that, I think we are done with this episode of the Saturday Morning D&D Show. We will be, yep. if be you back have, next if week. If you have questions for us, send them on Twitter. Me and Jordan are on Twitter quite yep. a bit. Uh, all of the links will be in the video uh, description so you can see stuff. And I'm sure he'll have a link to Mothership by Tuesday Night Games right in there. So you guys will be able to go to Drive yeah. RPG and check it out. Um, and then if you need to get a hold of us, because chat was really hopping today yeah, with lots great. of good discussion. But we had so much to talk about, we barely went over and looked at it. But I'm going back and rereading all that stuff. That's been good, guys. Go to those videos and put that stuff in the comments so we can keep that that great conversation going. Um, there's a good set of people commenting on those videos and starting up good conversations. We just want to keep that going because it's really good stuff. But uh, other than that, yeah. Thanks, guys. Yeah, thank you so much. We will see you next week with another episode of the Saturday Morning D&D Show. Goodbye. We love you. Our intro and outro music is 8-Bit March by Twin Musicom, licensed under Creative Commons. Check out their website at www.twinmusicom.org.